virtual care, telehealth, telemedicine, connected care, whatever you call it, the delivery of healthcare when the patient and the clinician aren't physically in the same room, the way that it actually happens is obviously through telephone and internet infrastructure. So having a robust communications infrastructure in place is really a a non-negotiable for allowing more people to access digital healthcare services. And here in Australia, the MBN has a pretty big role to play with that communications infrastructure. Where do you think digital health sits on the radar for NBN? Well, with me today is Rob Hardy, Executive Manager for Health and Agriculture at MBN. And in this episode, we're building on the discussion we had back in episode 186, where we spoke with Jen Beer about 12 months ago from MBN. So where are we now when it comes to the digital capability and infrastructure that's going to power the delivery of healthcare into the future? And what role will the MBN play in enabling digital health, telehealth, and other virtual care services across Australia? Metro, regional, rural, and remote. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. With me today is Robert Hardy, is the Executive Manager for Health and Agriculture at NBN. He joined NBN in April 2020 as Head of Segment for Agriculture and in May 22 added health to the role. He's got more than 15 years of public policy experience across a range of areas, including defence and veteran affairs, agriculture and telecommunications. Hey, Rob, how are you going? I'm well, Pete. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for making the time to come and have a chat. Yeah, it's good we pressed record to actually start the recording for this because we were chatting for way too long and then realized we were supposed to do a podcast interview. So it's always fun to have a chat about so I many wonder, things. Maybe we should have kept the record on at the start, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, I'd have been more interesting been. than some of the things we're about to talk about. <laughs> oh man, that's the yeah, the after hours edition. But anyway, that's gonna be fun. But look, still keen to to explore a bit further. For those that don't know you, Rob, tell us a bit more about you and your background. Well, Pete, you gave a really good introduction there. As you said, I joined NBN almost two and a half years ago at the time of the COVID pandemic. So not only did I start a brand new job with a company that was enabling Australians to work from home, but I was learning a new industry and a big new company while sitting in the comfort of my inner Sydney apartment. So it was a really interesting experience to start a new job in those sort of circumstances. And while I certainly wouldn't recommend it going forward, the team at NBN certainly made me and and my team, the whole team was stood up around the same time. They made us feel really welcome. So I've had a a varied career. I grew up in Geelong. I I studied in Canberra at the Australian National University. I had a love for politics, which was what drew me to Canberra in the first place. I started working at Parliament House when I was 20 years old in the office of a minister answering telephones. And I left at the age of 31, being deputy chief of staff to a minister. So it was a great experience across a wide variety of areas. And 
when I left politics, after a little bit of adjustment, I settled in working at the New South Wales Farmers Association and worked with farmers to advance their interests. I used to joke that my portfolio at farmers was uh, grains, horticulture, agricultural chemicals, and biosecurity. So I used to quip that I used to have the things that grow and the things that killed them. And it was a really interesting and varied space and taught me a lot. My grandfather was a farmer. That was the closest I ever got to being one myself and thought I was being terribly helpful on school holidays going and opening the gates. You know, it really opened a, a passion for me. And uh, after leaving farmers and, and going back to government for a little bit of time, this role then came up at NBN and I felt when I looked at it that it had my name on it. So it's been a great space to be in. And telecommunications, as you said in the introduction, is so fundamental. It's essential to the way in which we live our lives in all sorts of different segments. So as you said, my good friend and now no longer former colleague, Jen Beer, had stewarded the health segment. And in her absence, I thought I could do half the job that she was doing. And so I put up my hand and thought, let's see whether we can leverage some of the things that are occurring in agriculture which might benefit the health sector and, and vice versa. So a really great place to be. And I'm learning lots still. I should point out that I'm the eldest. I've got two younger brothers. Both of them are qualified nurse practitioners. My two sisters-in-law are both doctors. One's a general practitioner in a regional health centre and the other's finalising her specialisation in paediatrics. So in some respects, I'm the black sheep of the family, but I feel that Having taken on the health portfolio, I can now look them in the eye and, and perhaps even participate in some of the Christmas lunch. Uh, well, I was going to say, you're welcome back at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good. No, well, that's, that's great. No, look, Jen's obviously still a member of THT Plus through her new role. And yeah, it's great to build on that conversation. But I, I really find it fascinating and such a great fit bringing together both parts of that portfolio, as you say, strong through the agriculture side. And MBM plays a really important role in that. So, so why do you say that both the health and the agriculture elements of MBN tie in so nicely under the one portfolio? Look, there remains a really big knowledge gap, if you like, and it's not anybody's fault because we're talking about really complex areas of how we deliver services into places where people need them. So in the agriculture sense, we want to help farmers be as productive as they can be and get connectivity into the places where they're earning money, which perversely isn't their living room. It's actually out in the, the wide brown plains. So how do we enable farmers to get connected and understand the opportunity from connectivity that exists out in their, in their paddocks? In the healthcare industry, it's the same type of thing, except you've got multiple players. You've got the clinician's who need to be kitted up with the equipment to enable them to deliver a virtual care through whatever platform they might be using or the, wherever they're physically located. But then you need to make sure that the patient equally has access to services that enable them to connect. Really was one of the things that I discovered when I first took on this portfolio was that despite the almost 20 million telehealth appointments that had taken place since the outbreak of COVID in Australia, around 93% of those had taken place over the telephone rather than in a sort of Zoom or video conferencing scenario. And when I quizzed my sister-in-law, I said to her, look, when you're GPing, when she's not nursing my nephew, when you're GPing and you're doing telehealth, how are you doing that? And she said, most of the time it's over the phone. Doing it over the phone because I haven't got time to be the technician to enable a person on the other end of the phone to get connected. That's not a core skill set. So I think going forward, it's finding common platforms that clinicians and patients can use that enable them to converse in a visual, virtual telehealth sense. But it's also making sure that we have clinicians which are equally trained in the digital world in which they're going. Same in agriculture. You know, we've got 
hundreds of people working every day supporting farmers as stock agents, agronomists, or other sorts of professions. If they're digitally skilled, they will share their knowledge with farmers. If a doctor is equally digitally capable and could show Mr. or Mrs. Smith when they might come in for a face-to-face interview, this is how we can do a telehealth appointment in between the times when I want to see you, then that will make everybody more capable and hopefully more confident in the way that they use the internet. Makes so much sense. And that that capability piece is super important. I can see how those two such important industries in the country tie in so well together. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help. Yes, you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Tell me more about MBN, particularly for those in Australia, a common acronym, one that many people will know and involve with the internet in adverted commas, and that sometimes is as much as people know. It'd be great to just get a bit more of a primer in terms of how it works, what it is, how it's set up, what it's not, all that kind of stuff. And then we can get into more about healthcare. Yeah, look, I'll try and do this as quickly as I can. The MBN is a national asset. It's owned by every single Australian taxpayer. And it's hard to imagine that little over 10 years ago, the NBN didn't exist. It was set up by a former Commonwealth government with the view of modernising Australia's telecommunications infrastructure. It's had some fits and starts and iterations on the way through, but where we've landed at today is that more than 17 million people in some way touched by the NBN network. There are 12 million premises ready to connect and eight and a half million businesses and homes which are using the NBN on a day-to-day basis. The NBN network is delivered by what we call a multi-technology mix, and that's a combination of the existing copper wire lines, which legacies of the, the telephone network. We have fibre lines into some areas as well, and we're continuing to install more fibre into locations right across Australia. And from a rural, regional and remote perspective, we deliver connectivity through three different means. 75% of the population in regional Australia is connected via a fixed line capability, so either fibre or copper. 16% is connected via what we call fixed wireless technology. And fixed wireless is a network of 2,200 base stations across the country, which Think of them like a mobile phone tower, a little bit different, obviously, in the way they deliver connectivity, but they provide connectivity to up to 14 kilometres from the base station to homes. And then the areas that aren't covered by either fixed line or fixed wireless are then dealt with via our satellite network, which covers 100% of the Australian mainland and five external territories, being the Cocos and Keeling Islands, Christmas Island, Lord Howe Island, Norfolk Island and Macquarie Island. 
where we're connecting the penguins. <laughs> but it's critical that we recognize that the NBN represents the world's only continent-wide fast broadband network. And that's defined globally as being a network with speeds above 25 megabits down and 5 megabits up. And our satellite network is based at those speeds. And you can get, using some of our wholesale products such as SkyMuster Plus, that has burstable speeds up to around 50 megabits down and 10 megabits up. So that's quite good. It's certainly more than capable of ensuring that you can undertake video conferencing calls, you can stream video streaming services um, and, and other sorts of things. So since the satellites sort of went live four or five years ago, we've continued to make improvements to the way that users access those services. And really excitingly, we announced at the start of July that we were extending what we call the off-peak period, the period of time when data isn't metered, when it's being consumed over the satellite network. It was six hours of the day between 1am and 7am. We've now increased that to 16 hours a day from midnight till 4pm. And if you're on SkyMaster Plus, which is one of our wholesale products, unless you're streaming video streaming services or using a VPN, basically all of the data that you're using over the satellite network is uncapped. If you're running a business, you're a doctor operating on SkyMaster, or you're a patient who's accessing telehealth via a Zoom platform or, or Teams or whichever one you're using, and that's not consuming any data in your data plan. So that's a really important change. And we've just announced, uh, or back in March, we announced a $750 million plan to improve speeds across our fixed wireless network as well, which will mean that 85% of the footprint will have access to speeds up to 250 megabits per second. So that, look, there's constant evolutions. When I joined the business, we were just at the finishing stages of building the network, one of the largest and most complex infrastructure projects Australia has ever embarked upon. And now we're at a point where we're now looking at how do we make sure that we're using the network in a way that continues to deliver value back into the community. So where are there areas where we can upgrade? Where are there areas that we can undertake what we call a technology flip and move people from one type of technology onto another type of technology? The reason why we've been able to do what we've done on our satellite network and increase the off-peak time is because the fixed wireless network changes will move 120,000 people from satellite onto fixed wireless and the faster speeds that that makes available. So there's constant evolutions, iterations, changes and improvements in the way that we deliver the network. And what that means for particularly rural, regional and remote Australians is that they're constantly getting access to better and better technologies all the time. I mean, that was a great summary of all of it. I've absorbed so much new information, well, not new, inf so much information about the NBN just then about the, how it all ties together. I knew about the Sky Master thing a little, in bits and pieces, and I, and I get that. I reflect on all of that and think, geez, for, for a national project over, in all things considered, a relatively short period amount of time for what it is, the 10-year period, and the rate that technology changes over that period in time, it's a lot of yeah, a lot of things to balance. And I guess it's something to be really proud and excited to be to be a part of. I was talking to somebody this morning just to, on yeah. that, you know, they were saying, how do you get onto the NBN network? And I said, well, you don't buy a service directly from us. We're a wholesaler. So we provide it and you buy it through a third party. And there's dozens of providers of NBN services. And they said, if I live in a, in a hut four hours east of Port Hedland, can I get connected to the NBN? And I said, absolutely, $0 install. We'll run out there, we'll install the satellite dish. And one of the key frustrations we have is that people say, I can't get access to mm. the NBN. We know that the network is available. We know that it can be provided to anybody in Australia. And I encourage people when they have a provider tell them that NBN isn't available to them, that they should think it's just simply not available through that provider. 
I encourage anybody who's perhaps unsure is to jump on our website, nbnco.com.au, check your address. Through that check address feature, it'll tell you which technology you're able to access in your location. And it will then give you a list of providers for whom you can contact to gain access. Because as I said before, to access the NBN network, we're a wholesale provider. You need to do it through a a third-party retail service provider. That's great. Because we'll put the link for that in the show notes of the episode too, so people can click through to the MBN site and, and check that out if they need to. I want to dive into digital health a little bit more. So so with this capability and connectivity, how do you see the role that MBN plays in enabling digital health? Is it just by like ensuring that everyone's got that access to be able to do those virtual consults? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, we've got to make sure that surgeries and Allied health clinics, pharmacists and regional hospitals are all as connected as they can be to ensure that the medical staff in those facilities can operate and access the records and services and other sorts of things that they need to deliver quality health care. That's one part of it. The other part of it, though, is making sure that consumers of digital health services feel confident and capable in accessing the services in the first place. Curiously, one of the things I've noticed in the last few months in talking to people in the sector is the need to perhaps refocus the discussion around telehealth and that sort of captures a few things but away from telehealth being the default setting for the delivery of care into being where telehealth fits the need of the patient in terms of the care that they require for the condition that's being managed so yes there'll be instances where telehealth makes sense because it may be a check-in but where it's a face-to-face consults required how can that be facilitated so using telehealth now to strike the right balance is really important. So if we're going to have a whole connected society of Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Mr. and Mrs. Jones and, and their friends at various stages on the spectrum, if we're going to continue to support people in independent living, and if we're going to be able to monitor people in their own homes at any age who might be managing chronic health conditions, we need to make sure that people trust that the information that they're sharing is secure. We also need to make people feel confident that they're able to access the support that they need when they need it. So one of the things NBN did was we created a tool called OSCAR, and OSCAR stands for Online Skills Check and Resources. And OSCAR provides uh, users with a quick five-minute assessment on their digital capability over four areas, being online knowledge, device usage, data and e-safety, and online communications. After giving your ranking based on how you answer those questions, we'll then point out areas which can provide you with a quick win to perhaps lift your capability in one of those areas by referring you to a reputable site like an online e-health commissioner site, cybersecurity or whatever, to make sure that we're lifting and improving people's understanding of how to manage some very basic things through to more complex management. And we've got staff around the country who are helping reach out to local communities in regional areas in particular to help them bridge that digital divide and narrow the gap that we know exists in digital capability between metropolitan and regional Australia. So it's a slow burn, but as I said, the key here is making sure that we remove the barriers that are preventing participation in the first place. If you think, uh, and I'm sure Pete, in your instance, it happened as well, that um, during COVID, we all learned how to do things that we never thought would need to happen. You know, my parents, I don't think had ever used FaceTime before COVID hit. And then they're interstate, I'm in Sydney. And so the only way we could see one another for an extended period of time was through that FaceTime platform. Now, there are lots and lots of people who know how to FaceTime and feel quite confident doing that with their family. How do we then leverage the ability to be able to do that into, well, now I know how to click on a link 
to go and join a Zoom conversation in a slightly more secure environment with a health practitioner or with an allied health professional, or, you know, I've got devices that are monitoring what I'm doing at home. How do I then enable that information to be shared with people so that they can spot when a problem might exist? So it's finding out first, you know, the old can't measure it, you can't manage it. So let's measure people's digital capability to understand where the gaps are. And then we can work with other people to find out how we can improve capability on the way through. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it be much more straightforward if the real inhibitor to allowing people to have access to more digital health services was the technology side. And then it's just about building the technology, but that's not the the gap here. It's giving people the confidence and the capability and knowledge and know-how and that digital capability, as you say, for them to be able to utilize what's available there. So there, there's no shortage of platforms. There's no shortage of apps and devices and wearables and all this sort of stuff. The challenge is which one are you going to pick? And And I suspect for many medical practitioners, it's very similar in the ag space as well. Which platform do I choose? Do I get locked into an ecosystem? Does it prevent me from making further investments or what opportunities does it open up going forward as well? So these digital platform decisions for any business are significant decisions. Everything comes with good, bad and otherwise. And getting that decision right is so fundamental. So if we can remove the, the barrier of connectivity to enable it to happen, that's one less thing that a practitioner has to worry about. And equally, a consumer has to worry about because they know that the network that they're operating on is capable of supporting whatever decision the, the clinicians made. And, and I think that the call out that I would have to some of the platform developers is, again, Oftentimes, these things are being managed in big cities where they're on fiber connections. Potentially, they're on one of our services that get, delivers up to one gigabyte in speeds over the network. But when you move out onto remote areas where satellite is the predominant source of connectivity, there are different challenges that exist in the way that that communications technology works. That means we might need to look at ways that the platform is delivered in those remote areas to ensure that it can be available because, you know, there are things like latency that we have to manage, rain fade and climactic conditions, which can impact the way that satellite communications is delivered. So let's make sure we're designing for the capability that exists rather than the capability we might like to exist. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Thinking then, say we start getting a lot of this right and we see continued improvements in terms of connectivity from the technology and infrastructure side and then increased digital capability and more people having the confidence and know with all to be able to, to actually access it. Where do you see the big opportunities in virtual care specifically arising thanks to the improvement in communications? Helping us better manage chronic conditions is going to be really important. The cost of delivering health in this country continues to climb and it's the perverse incentive of an aging population is that while people are living longer, it can then give rise to in the increased costs associated with keeping people alive for longer, which we should all be grateful for. Technology enables us to do that. One of the things that was happening in a former life before I joined NBN was some work to monitor gold card veterans who were managing chronic conditions. So in their own home, there was a device connected via the NBN network that was able to tell the clinician how the patient was faring. Now, the result of that was that by monitoring on a day-to-day -day basis, it told the clinician whether they needed to bring the patient into the, the clinic to assess them or whether no, everything was fine. So I think if we can evolve to a point where we can do more in-home monitoring, and people sometimes think that in-home monitors consume huge amounts of data, oftentimes they don't. So 
how do we make sure that in the way that we simply live our lives, the transmission of data in a secure fashion between ourselves and the clinician enables the clinician to have a much clearer picture about what's going on in our day-to-day lives. And similarly, how do we make sure that data that's being captured and information about us through e-health records and other sorts of things, if we do find ourselves in a predicament where people need to access our record to find out how to deliver care in the event of an emergency, that that kind of information helps the clinician form a clearer picture about the treatment pathways for the individual in the event of an emergency, and they don't make an existing situation worse. Yeah. No, that's right. And and then that, that opens up some points for consideration too, which I know come up because, you know, by increasing the access to health records to the clinicians that need it, that's a good thing, but it needs to be done in a safe and secure way so that only those that need it get it, but also so that the trust remains with all the different stakeholders, that their information is being looked after appropriately. I know another important one that comes up too, and I think that we've touched on this a couple of times on the pod and it's and it's come from clinicians and those receiving care alike, is I think the, the answer in terms of telehealth and how much healthcare can be delivered virtually versus how much should be in person, it comes down to having the flexibility and choice and not so much being kind of uh, segregating people just because they either can't access technology or haven't got the capability, then all of a sudden they miss out on services. So I think having flexibility to offer choice and not forcing people down a, a hole is, is quite important, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm very fortunate. I live in the city of Sydney. My doctor is just up the road. People living in remote parts of Australia will willingly, I said to somebody happily this morning, but I suspect it's not happily. I think it's more willingly, mm. but begrudgingly travel three, four or five hours to see a, a clinician in the event that they require care because that's how far they have to travel in order to access the service. Now, sometimes that might just be for a checkup, but if you can remove the barrier that says that patient can remain in their own home, they've got a device that enables them to connect to their clinician and the connectivity supports it as well. And equally at the clinician's end, the clinician has the relevant diagnostic equipment that can enable them to examine somebody virtually. Then you can save that patient significant period of time, potentially exacerbating any pain. And so long as the the patient and, and the doctor are able to communicate in that fashion, then that may be in that individual person's circumstances, a preferred way to deliver healthcare, but we shouldn't assume that that is going to be right for all patients 100% of the time. So it's about, let's try and find a way to remove the barriers to it existing, and then it becomes a clinical decision between the patient as to how to best deliver the method of care and treatment. And thinking then for MBN in terms of the infrastructure, expanding the capability of the network, I know there's been significant investment in network improvements. How does, how does mobile communications and and those tie into what MBN do and this, this point around connected care with the patient and provider and specialists in remote locations? Mobile has a, a key role to play. The mobile network and the MBN network are different. Mm. So uh, when you're accessing a mobile phone network, it, it operates on a different basis. Now, I don't pretend to be... Uh, a physician either in the medical sense or in the scientific sense. So getting me to explain Hertz and Spectrum and other sorts of things, I would be doing that industry a great disservice. But what I do know is that we are leveraging the 5G network in the upgrade of our fixed wireless network to enable us to send more data further. And we've, I think, won a recent world record in terms of the distance we've been able to send information over a 5G. There's a world record for everything these days. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, there is, absolutely. Um, you know, everybody wins a prize, but this is what technology does and science enables us, much as science has enabled us to extend the way that people's lives are lived and the treatments that are offered, we're also leveraging science and learning more every single day about how we can move information around. So gone are the tin cans on the end of a string. We're now utilizing satellites thousands of kilometers above Earth, which are delivering connectivity in real time to places in very remote parts of Australia and ensuring that people, no matter where they are located, can get access to the quality healthcare services that they need in real time and manage conditions so that people can live longer and healthier lives. Yeah, I love it. Well, let, let's kind of summarize it and close it out then. What's, what are some of the key priorities for MBM, particularly in, in your area and the, in the health and ag side uh, in coming 2022 and beyond? Look, my number one priority is to keep talking to the communities to understand what it is they need. I see my role as being one about not just telling the NBN story, but listening, perhaps more importantly, to the needs of people, particularly in regional and remote Australia, so that I can then go and talk to the engineers and say, look, here are the opportunities and challenges that are being faced. What can we do to lean into those struggles? How do we leverage the network to provide place-based connectivity on temporary bases when a clinician goes out to visit remote communities? How do we make sure that the clinician has the support? But equally, they're explaining and leveraging that opportunity to talk about digital opportunities in healthcare into some of those remote parts of the country. So there's great opportunity now to continue to have conversations. As I said before, network's built and, and now we're improving and we'll always still be building the network, but at a much slower rate. Now the opportunities to make sure that everybody's aware of the opportunity the network has to enable them to really live their best life in a in a digitally and connected sense. Yeah, great stuff. Look, we'll put the details for MBN in the show notes of this episode and some of the key points that we discussed. There'll be a more comprehensive article on our website too for people to check out and see some of the glossary terms that might have been mentioned in this conversation and also to learn more about MBN through there too. Look, Rob, appreciate you coming on the show and having a chat and going through and looking forward to connecting again in another 12 months or so and see where we're at now. Thank you so much. Happy to. And anybody on the THT network, I'm more than happy to come and have a chat anytime about what the network's capable of doing for you. Love it. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks. And I'll even buy you a coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.